Um, I don't know if you ever played that game, but it's quite an interesting New Year's game to play. If I had my life all over again. Now, of course, you won't play that game unless you're over 30. If you're under 30, you think you're going to get your act together again. But once you're over 40 and you realize you've lived half your life, and certainly like me, you begin to feel you've got a furniture problem, so my chest is in my drawers nowadays, you, you start to be wistful about the things you haven't done. And you think, well, I wish if I could have my life all over again. Uh, now, of course, some people can't relate to that. I spoke to one person and they said, oh, I'd do exactly what I've done. Well, I thought that showed a singular lack of imagination. What do you want to do the same things again for? Don't you want some new experiences? So, for example, I'd love to have played a season's rugby with the Maoris in the South Island of New Zealand or with the deeply religious Western Samoans who are known as the heaviest tacklers in world rugby. Apparently, their motto is Acts 20, verse 35. It's better to give than receive. That would have been amazing to go there. I'd love to have learned to play the saxophone or the bagpipes. Both those instruments seem so cool. Or married that girl I married to someone else. That was a nightmare. When I got to the bit in the service where I said, does anyone have a reason why they shouldn't be joined together? I nearly put my own hand up. But, but I mean, I played golf at Augusta. I'd love to... Well, the thing is, you can't. You can't start again. But you know, the funny thing is, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the Christian life, actually, and what I mean by that is relationship with the God who made us, the God who gave us this sun that's blazing today, when it comes to the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, unless you do start again, you never make it. I wonder if you noticed that in the Bible reading we had. Can you see it? John chapter 3 there. It's so clear, so uncompromising, so to the point. You've got to start again. Verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You've got to start again. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, says Jesus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Unless there's rain, there is no crops. Unless there's sun, there's no crops. And unless you're born again, you can't do relationship with God. Jesus is quite categoric here. A man or woman can't become a Christian unless they're born again. And it's fundamental, this, to Christianity. Just to say, this phrase, born again, wasn't thought up by Donald Trump to get more votes off the Southern Baptists. You know, it's, it's not so narrow, emotional, cultic, fringe type of Christianity, which my mother... You know, a daughter, but my mother used to say, well, I'm a Christian, but not one of those born-again types. I used to say, no, mum, we've got to be born again. It's a necessity, and it's embedded in all the creeds, Anglican, Methodist, Baptist. It's not weird or strange or loony fringe. It, 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 it's dynamite, ladies and gentlemen, about a creator God who breaks into life. And often it's undetonated dynamite. So as we hear this phrase, born again, if we can try and remove any unreflexive prejudice about it, it's not for dogmatic, crazy people. It's not an option, it's a necessity. And there could be no one who was more shocked that he had to be born again than the man in our passage. I wonder if you can see him, chapter 3, verse 1. This man, Nicodemus, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now you see, he had supposedly all the right credentials to be accepted by God, ladies and gentlemen. He was a disciplined man, a Pharisee. He was an able man, the member of a Jewish ruling council. He was a learned man, verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, says Jesus. 
Surely he's got it all together. And even better than that, I mean, he comes along with a question. He'd have gone along on Tuesday night. He says, I've got a question. So he was an open-minded man. He was wanting to learn. He hadn't got it all sorted out. He was law and order. You could have trusted him in work and in his marriage. I mean, you don't get more moral than Nicodemus. The Pharisees were fanatics on morality. Legalistic, upright, Rotarian. He'd be the ultimate in respectable middle class. So he was deeply shaken when Jesus says to him, you, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Jesus draws a separating line between him and real relationship with God when he's been doing the God thing for decades. And Jesus says, no, you're not there. Now, actually, when someone said to me that I needed to be born again, I was so self-obsessed. I remember thinking, well, I'm sure I do. I could totally relate to Tennyson, who said, ah, for a man to arise in me, that a man I, I am should cease to be. I was in such a shambles, it never occurred to me that I didn't need to start over. But this is such a fine man. So he pushes back at Jesus. Have a look at verse 4. See what he says in verse 4 to push back. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus says to him, don't muck about. I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. Verse 6. Do we see verse 6? Flesh gives birth to flesh. But you need to be born spiritually. The spirit gives birth to the spirit. And Nicodemus, all your religious credentials, religious, able, learned, moral, disciplined, all your performing, it's not good enough. And it won't save you from the wrath to come. It won't save you from judgment day. It won't save you from a place called hell. Gosh, it's a brutal conversation. The end of the chapter, you get it. I mean, it's just amazing. Verse 36, if we flick over the pages, whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on them. The stakes couldn't be higher. And can I say, therefore, if such a thoroughly good man like Nicodemus needs to be born again, then we can be absolutely sure that you need to be born again, and I do. And do ask this on Tuesday evening at Alpha, but so does the kind Hindu, the gentle Buddhist, the moral atheist, the fine Muslim. Jesus insists everybody needs to be born again. And of course the question is, why? Why? I mean, it's the most staggering claim he's made here. Everyone's got to be born again, even Nicodemus. And the reason, ladies and gentlemen, is that all of us have said no to God. All of us have said, God, give me, give me the gifts, fun, family, friends, falling in love, food, fitness. Give me the gifts, but actually, no. I'll do things my way. You have, I have, Nicodemus has done that, despite his credentials. You looked at his motivations, often they'd be all over the place, like me. And of course, it may seem a very small thing to us when we've said no to God, but the Bible calls this sin. And it's when we put ourselves first, so it's my goals, my agenda, my desires. God, you can be a footnote, though I want each breath, you be a footnote. 
And it seems such a small thing to us, but this is the issue, ladies and gentlemen. It causes us to die spiritually. That's the problem with sin. We become spiritually walking corpses. So there'll be people walking along Clapham Common today and they're fit, young, able, laughing. And yet spiritually, because of sin, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible's view is they're dead. Come and talk about that Tuesday night. And that's why there's this absolute necessity to be born again. And can you see, Jesus doesn't say in these verses, can be, should be, would like to be. He says, you must be. You've got to be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? Uh, 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 That's first heading coming up. What does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean to be born again is turning over a new leaf. It doesn't mean going back on the diet. A number of years ago, I remember thinking, I'll give up all puddings in New Year except for my day off. And then on my first day off, I had six. No, it's not that. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. No, no. Being born again, ladies and gentlemen, this is amazing, is a radical thing that God does. It's not something I do. It's something God does by the power of his Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 8 to see it. Check it out, verse 8. It's extraordinary. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So this isn't something I do. This is something God does. Ladies and gentlemen, it's something miraculous. God brings us back to life as new people in the spirit world. He radically changes us. We heard that in those talks. That woman, she went along, then she wanted to lead, then she prayed out loud. What was happening? person who said, you know, I no longer fear dead. What was going on inside? There was a miracle going on. It's a supernatural act of God in which he takes the Holy Spirit and implants the Spirit at the base of our hearts. So it's like God gives us, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're talking about, a heart transplant, and thereby gives our mind, our will, our emotion, our personality, a whole new direction. So we start to think like he thinks and consequently to want to act in his way, although we do a hopeless job of it, We continue to need forgiveness, but we're longing for this in our hearts. And and, and I remember once urging a a rugby mate to become a Christian, and he said, Rico, it's no good me becoming a Christian. I said, why do you say that, Matt? He said, I'll never keep it up. And I said, Matt, given your track record, I'm sure that's true. I don't think you will. I said, Matt, what do you think needs to happen for you to become a Christian? And he looked at me, and to keep it up, and I said, yes, what has to happen? And he looked at me, and he said, Well, I think I'll need a miracle. I said, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a miracle where the person looks the same, but they've been changed. God has caused us to leap into the spirit world. He gives us a heart transplant. And you can't do that yourself. I mean, I remember before I was a Christian, I mean, I never really worried about God or thought about him, though I do remember praying before exams, oh God, please help me and I'll become a vicar as long as I pass. Well, here I am. Here I am. And I, and I remember, you know, I didn't care as long as he did his bits and left me to do mine. But after he changed me, I started to love him. I started to love God. And I was so glad at what he'd done to me. Done for me. It was an amazing thing. And the Bible, it was amazing. I mean, before the Bible, when it was read in school assembly, it seemed like gobbledygook. 
But it, do you know what happened? It started as though it had my name and address in it, ladies and gentlemen. Go along and try that on Alpha. Keep coming and listening. I couldn't believe it. And before I became a Christian, I prayed, but only when I was in trouble. But afterwards, I liked to talk to Jesus as though he was a friend. And before I became a Christian, there were many sins, and I didn't give a fig about them as long as I wasn't found out. But afterwards, they became so grievous to me because I knew they upset the Lord Jesus. It was a radical change, a heart transplant. It was being born again. It's not unlike surgery. You had surgery, you know what happened? The anaesthetist comes in, plunges something into your arm, you get the most euphoric, wonderful feeling. By the way, I do recommend it. If there's a bit of your body you don't want, go and have some surgery. The euphoria is amazing. And they, you know, you're on the trolley, all the nurses look absolutely beautiful. They, 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 they float you through, the doors swing open, you see the surgeon, uh, and the next thing that happens, they go, wake up, wake up. And in half an hour, you know they've done something. In an hour, you wish they hadn't. In three hours, you're afraid you're going to die. And after six hours, you're worried you won't die. I mean, all the good work has gone on underneath. Now, that's what happens with the new birth. Now, what you have to do is you have to keep listening to the Bible. And as you do that, God does the miracle underneath. So that's why when we're talking about Tuesday night, and Tim says, come along, we're talking about miracles happening. Your job is to keep hearing and God, he does a miracle. He does a heart transplant. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing. And you start to go, oh, do you know Jesus, he's not just a swear word. He's not just a figure of history. Do you know he really did die for me? He really is the son of God. I need to do something about that. But you keep hearing and God does the miracle. I'm so excited about Tuesday night. I do hope you'll come along just to hear and see what God does. So what is the new birth? It's a radical thing that God does. It's by his Holy Spirit. Who needs it? We all do. If Nicodemus needs it, we all do. It's not loony fringe. Thirdly, what is it that God has done so that we can be born again? And I think there's a verse going up now. What has he done for that? John 3, verse 16. But if you can look at it in the Bibles again. So here it is, John 3, verse 16. Let's have a look at it together. Such an important verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what did God do? Ladies and gentlemen, he loved the world. He loved us. And what did he do in his love? He gave his one and only son, so God allowed Jesus to come and die on the cross to take the punishment that our sins deserve. Now maybe you've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross and there are two thieves either side and he's hanging there. And on the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what's going on there? Uh, after we were in Chile, Dad grew tobacco in Africa. So I went to Africa with Dad, and uh, there was no children's TV, and I had two hobbies as a little boy, stamp collecting and butterflies, and both were amazing in Africa. And for both of those hobbies, you needed one of these, a magnifying glass. But I soon found that making little things bigger in Africa was not the only thing a magnifying glass could do. 
I found that if you took one of these into the midday sun, the possibilities were endless. I found that you could set alight a leaf or a piece of newspaper or even the gardener's hut. And I found that if you held your twin sister down, you could scare the living daylights out of her with one of these. That was before I thought of ordination into the Anglican church. Anyway, you can take a, a magnifying glass and focus the rays of the sun into such a sharp point of intensity that it burns things. Ladies and gentlemen, I wonder if you could imagine a massive moral magnifying glass the size of this room. And through it our past, not the sun's rays, but God's righteous anger against the jealousy, the hatred, the self-centeredness, the lust, the gossip in my heart. I'm not even talking about yours. And God rightly says, it's my world. Rico, I'm going to hold you accountable for how you treat others in this world. So there is a day of judgment. And that's a good thing. Since Sarah was abducted and murdered near here, 15 women have been killed in London. They've been murdered. Some of the killers haven't been found yet. It's a good thing there's a judgment to come, isn't it? But that comes all the way down to the individual stuff. All the way down to me. And, and, and imagine all of it, all God's anger, and it comes down, down, down into one man at one point of history. So he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that is how Jesus saves me from God's anger. And also, that is how he cleanses me. You see, God's not going to send his spirit, the spirit of his son to live in us when we're in rebellion against him. So I need Jesus to die on the cross as all God's anger goes into him as he pays in death and blood for my sin on Good Friday so that he can cleanse me. But it's an amazing thing, you know, ever since I became a Christian back in 1982, often you hear people swear. So they use on the golf course, I've got friends who use the name of Jesus all the time, but however they use it, it means the same thing. Do you know what it means? He died for me. I don't know if that could be a New Year's resolution for you. Each time you hear the word Jesus, even in the office, wherever you hear it, however it's said, do you know what it means? He died for me. Jesus, he died for me. And that's an amazing thing that God does in order to cleanse me from my wrongdoing. He sends his son to die and so that the spirit can come into my life. So let's close now, let me finish. Um, uh, uh, what is the new birth? It's a miracle that God does. Who needs it? We all do, even Nicodemus. Uh, what has God done in aid to enable us to be born again? He sent his son to die so that we can be forgiven and so that his spirit can give us this heart transplant. And finally, let's close with this fourth point. What does God want us to do? Have a look down at verse 16 again. Do you see what it says? For God so loved the world, gosh, he loved us, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What does it mean to believe? To believe someone means that you trust them. It means you're trustworthy. So, for example, if I say, first person to see me after the service gets this £10 note, if I'm trustworthy, you get it. I'm not, so don't bother asking me. But, 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 but if you're trustworthy, you keep your word. Now, you won't perish. You won't go to hell. You'll have eternal life. And if you trust what his son has done... God says, if you trust me, I'll forgive you and I'll send my spirit to you. 
Now, we put our trust in Christ by making a decision. Becoming a Christian isn't like catching mumps. Do you remember mumps? You sort of, you feel a bit, and then one day it's all up. Becoming a Christian is much more like getting married. You don't wake up the day after you're married and look across the bed and go, hello, where did you come from? By the way, if it was like that for you, you're in need of greater help than we can give you here. No, 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 no. I took a marriage before Christmas. I said to David, I said, will you have Alice? You see Will, not what you're feeling. He was, he was sweating. David, what will you do? He said, David, will you, will you ha- what have you made up your mind to do about this young woman? Will you have her for your lawful wedded wife, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse? For better, for worse, that means whatever the in-laws are like. And will you forsake all others and stay with her? He said, I will. That's what I intend to do. And this morning, God says to you, what do you intend to do about the death of my son? What do you intend to do about it? I sent my son to die. What do you intend to do about the death of Jesus? That's what he's asking you as we come to this new year. What are you going to do about the death of Jesus? Will you put your trust in me today and believe that I can make you a new person, that I can forgive you, that we can start again, because we need to reverse this mess we're in? Well, I'm going to close with a prayer now. It's going to come up on the screen. Here's a prayer, and it's a prayer to become a Christian. Amazingly, God's done all the work. He sent his son to die. He sent his spirit to transform us and give us a heart transplant. But some may go, well, look, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. So here's the prayer. If you want to become a Christian this morning, then you can echo this in your own heart. Now, it may well be that actually the right thing to do is come on Alpha. And uh, that it's just going to be brilliant. Wherever you stand, come and ask your questions. But one or two would say, look, I know enough. I'm going to do Alpha. But I know enough and I want to come to faith today. In this new year, make a fresh start, 2022. So here's the prayer. I'll say it slowly now, phrase by phrase. Well, I'll say it. I'll read it through first so you know what's coming. And then if you want to say it on a second occasion, I'll say it phrase by phrase. And you can echo it in your own heart. And wonderfully, God's done the work. He sent his son so you can be forgiven. Just take advantage of that. So here it is. Heavenly Father, I... Do you know what? My eyes are so bad, I'm going to have to come a bit closer. This is hopeless. Here we are. Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life. But from today, that's what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me and please send your spirit to make me into a new person. What a prayer for the new year. Well, I'll say it phrase by phrase, and there might be one or two here. You're not Christian. It is brilliant you're here this morning. And here's a prayer to echo in your own heart, to become a Christian and to follow Jesus. So do say it after me uh, in quiet, echo it in your own heart, and I'll do it phrase by phrase. Here it is. Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life. But from today... That's what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me. And please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Amen.